Gracious God, thank you for your written word. Uh, Thank you as it uh, gives us the the rules of the game, in a sense, the object, the way that we we win. Uh, Communicate that to us. Speak to us as a community. Speak to us individually. Speak to us how, uh, so that we might indeed uh, live in your house every moment of every day. And we might live in your house joyfully with one another. Uh, Guide us and lead us in the ways of Jesus, in his power and according to his character. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, When he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints... For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro, blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, Speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul starts off here, uh, the second word in the English, uh, therefore. Uh, Whenever you see therefore, you need to ask the question, what's it there for? Paul usually in his letters, uh, see it in Romans and see it in Colossians, he'll he'll have an opening section. The the first part of the letter is, is doctrine. Uh, it's it's theology. Uh, the the second it's, it's creed. It's what we believe. And then often the second part is then application. It's the uh, uh, how we are to live. It's moving from the head in to the hands. It's moving from orthodoxy, right thinking, to orthopraxy, right action. And that's what he's doing here in in Ephesians, in the letter to the church in Ephesus. The first three have been mostly about doctrine, about the right thing to understand. And now he's moving from the head to the hand. So therefore, because this is true, 
we are to do this. The first part is characterized mostly by indicative statements. And now he's moving to imperative commands. This is what we are to do because these things are true. As we've walked through Ephesians, we've even encountered two of the mysteries that Paul communicates to us. They've been revealed to God, or from God, to Paul to tell the church. And one is chapter 1, verse 10. And that is, if you recall, that a day will come in the end when all things, the entire cosmos, everything that was created, will one day be drawn together, summarized, and laid at the feet of Jesus. The other mystery in chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 is that we as the church, individual communities of Jesus' followers, are the, the ones who, in a sense, are a foreshadowing of that great consummation of all things in Jesus. That, that we, it's, again, look at verse 3, 9 and 10, that we are the, the way that, that is revealed to the spiritual powers in the heavenly places. It's another mystery that God revealed to us through Paul. So because those things are true, therefore, Paul commands us as the church to live according to God's calling upon us. We we have been drafted onto the team in order to live out those truths. This is why God has called us together as a team. Our ultimate purpose, this is the first thing that he brings before us. Our ultimate purpose is not to be saved someday, but our ultimate purpose today in our relationships with one another is to live like Jesus really does matter. And that will impact, first and foremost, from Paul's commands, how we relate to one another. Verse 2. Because this is true, based on all that we've looked at already, then we, with all humility, gentleness, and patience, bear with one another in love. I mean, a whole book could be written on any of those individual words, humility, gentleness, and patience. But the basic point is that of in, in our community, as followers of Jesus, we are charged, we are empowered and equipped, we are to grow into maturity so that we show the strong meekness of Jesus. Because that's how Jesus was. Matthew eleven twenty nine, Come unto me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Gentleness Kindness and patience. Found a great sentence that summarized those or attempted to. That it is true of us then, in, as a community and as individuals, that we demonstrate a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune without complaint or irritation. That's maturity in God. 
A trust that is so grounded in God that nothing worries us, angers us, or causes us to take matters in our own hands. That that trust, that meekness is not a cynical meekness, a selfish meekness, or a, a disengaged calm that really doesn't care, but a very active, trusting, secure calm. Like Jesus on the road to the cross. When the crowd was ridiculing him, his friends had abandoned him, and the government powers that be were abusing him. And he maintained his meekness, his strong calm. That maturity... That strength in God is to what is to have its most direct initial impact on how we relate to each other in the church. Not church amorphous around the world, but in College Hill Presbyterian Church with one another, the people that we see right now, people that were here earlier this morning is to show itself there. Bear with one another in love. That is to be our attitude in our relationship with each other. Does that surprise you? It surprises me. That our attitude in coming together is not one of excitement and joy. That's not what he says. Hey, be excited, be joy. These relationships are going to be easy. No. As you gather in relationships with others, forbearance is the word of the day. Just like God was forbearing towards you in His kindness and patience. As Paul said in Romans chapter 2. Do you not realize, he said, Romans chapter 2 verse 4, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So that same forbearance as we gather in God's house that God has for us, we are to have for one another. I think, I really think that we can have that reversed. I think we have used up all our patience out there at work and at home uh, driving I-75 or 71 And when we come to the church, what we're saying, this is the place that's supposed to be easy. I'm sorry, that is false. That is not what Paul teaches us. The plan of the church, the object of the game, is for us to do the hard work of relationships here so that we may be one where people of all types and kinds come together and experience that unity that only happens in Jesus. The church is that community that takes even more effort Because we gather being so different from so many different places and backgrounds, preferences and understandings. And the only thing that brings us together is Jesus. Paul knows it's going to be difficult. 
He knew it was difficult in Ephesus, and he's telling us it's going to be difficult for you. So expect it and get ready for it. Your maturity in Christ will be to bear one another in love. Verse 3. Make every effort. If there's any question that it's an easy thing, make every effort to maintain that unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The word with the bond of peace is literally in prison. We are imprisoned in the love of Christ with one another. And it's going to be forever. So we might as well go ahead and start now in learning to love one another. You might want to ask, well, gosh, why? Why is this Paul's initial focus and the object of the game? Why is this the end line? Why is this the scorecard? Why is this the thing that we're supposed to measure? This is the way we know if we've won or not, that if as a church we are one, it is because four through six. It is because the God in whom we reside is one. And he gives us seven ones right in a row. If indeed the story of Jesus is true, if indeed what we deserve is to be separated from God in our sin, and if indeed we are in Him, and because of Him we are cleansed from our sin, and we are no longer the objects of God's wrath, but we are the recipients of God's mercy, if indeed all of that is true, and we indeed can reside in His house together and not go up in flames because we are sinful people in the presence of a holy God, if indeed any of that is true, then we must demonstrate that by our unity with one another. If we are in God together, then eternally, spiritually, communally, we are deeply bonded to one another in Him. There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father who is over all, on all, and in all. I think Paul's trying to make a point. There is no way to get around to this. God is is one and God is everywhere. I think that we have growth in this particular area. Because I think it's a challenge for us to maintain our unity in Jesus over all of our differences. Our our unity in Jesus is greater than, it trumps it, it overtakes, it swallows every other area of significance. Every other area that can cause division. I think one of the greatest in the church that I've experienced here are political ideologies and social issues. And I have had people ask me directly, can a Christian really be a Republican? And I've had them ask me directly, can a Christian really be a Democrat? (laughs) And and I want to say to both, you know, that's a great question. Nothing wrong with asking it. But the sin is that we really don't ask it to the people we really want to ask it. 
Because you really haven't developed the relationships to a point of being able to ask. And we do not have the relational maturity among ourselves to be able to ask and then listen to the one to the other so that we might be able to understand. Because we've let these extremely important, I don't mean to denigrate them at all, extremely important political, social issues, we have let them become as important or more important than God. And friends, that is the sin of the beginning called idolatry. And in so doing, we've missed the biblical plan and we're playing the wrong game. There are all kinds of other issues that are extremely important and every one of us have one or two. All kinds of cultural issues and preferences that are important issues to discuss but not to divide. The call of God is for us to be a church unified in Christ. And if there was any question that our world still needs this kind of mature community, a safe place to really interact, to listen and to share, to bring up different difficult questions and issues, to develop a maturity and a groundedness in Jesus so that we can talk to one another with gentleness, kindness and patience, just pick up the newspaper and read about some events happening in Cambridge, Massachusetts and Boston and Washington, D.C. between a professor, a police officer and a president. Our world is desperately in need of a community of people who can model a radical unity, who are so grounded in the reality of Jesus Christ that nothing can blow us off that foundation. What are the areas in your life where the church is testing your patience? Pushing you, pushing your buttons to a place of anger. Who are the people who are followers of Jesus who are testing your patience? Who are pushing you to a place beyond that strong meekness that Jesus is maturing within us, growing within us? Name them and give them to God and do what you need to to pursue that unity now. That's the purpose of the game. Verses 7 through 10 and on then intertwine that purpose of the game being our own maturity in Christ. And that maturity in Christ is what will dance in a sense with us in this dance of growing in maturity which then leads us to growing in unity. As we mature in Christ, that unity will develop. And as we push that unity, it will push us to grow in maturity in Christ. Verses 7 through 10 tell us basically, in a, we don't have time to go into it, it's rather complex, but basically, God gives us gifts. Jesus gives us the gifts we need as the church, as a local body of community, and those gifts are leadership. The the leadership, the the staff and the elders and the deacons of this church are, are the ones that God has given as gifts, verse 11, 
to then lead us into that maturity in Christ as individuals and as a community so that we can be a diverse group but unified in Christ. The gifts he gave, some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip, again, here's the purpose, here's the goal, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to full stature of Christ. And that is a corporate call. It's a great word that Paul uses there in verse 12 where he says that the purpose of the church, and I've given you leadership to guide and direct you so as to equip you for ministry. That word for equip is also used to say to set the broken bone. purpose of the church is to set the broken bone. That we come recognizing we're broken. That we don't develop relationships well. That we do tend to stay together. And our unity in Christ is weak. And we need for the bone to be reset. And that's not fun nor easy. I've been in an emergency room where a child was having her broken bone set. It was the most hideous cry I'd ever heard out of one of my children's mouths. goes back to, again, the work of the church is not easy. It is the greatest, most difficult task we will ever face. Unity in Christ and maturity in Christ so that we no longer are tossed like a child back and forth with the whim of the day or the emotion of the moment. But we no longer act like babies, but we act like mature adults in Christ. The passage goes on to repeat that in a number of ways, that the point of the game, the point of, the, of us being drawn together is so that we pursue together and achieve that unity and maturity in Christ. That we are one in Him and we are mature like Him. I believe that we are on the precipice of pursuing that together. We are now in a place where the church, where our community is becoming more and more diverse from all different types of backgrounds, different experiences, who are coming together in Jesus. Our current physical location is, is in a neighborhood that looks an awful lot, look more and more, like the cities and the communities of Ephesus in Jesus' day in their great diversity. And we, ethnically, economically, and generationally, cover the board. And the only reason we gather together is because of Jesus. So we are set and ready. We don't have to bust anybody in to be a diverse group. We have a great history here of Jesus being the center and a great history here of the tools necessary to really develop significant relationships of learning how to listen to one another. And being equipped for this maturity 
If this can happen, it can happen here and it can happen now. It is good that we are becoming a more diverse group and we are trying to deal with those issues straight on. We talk about race. We talk about economics. We talk about generational differences. And we do not want to just play around with those but hit them straight on. And why, as I've mentioned before, we're putting together for the fall around a 16-week training session for small group leaders that will incorporate the principles of listening for heaven's sakes and dealing directly with especially racial differences, but also economic and generational. And as the small group leaders go through that in the fall, then we all can participate in that experience coming in January. It is a challenge that we're ready to face. As I look back over the last couple of years and, and maybe beyond, I think that maybe our focus as a church has become off-center of that great purpose of unity in Christ and maturity to be like Him. And to be quite honest, some of the ministry, if the weakest ministry of us as a church is our adult spiritual formation. Quite honestly, I think it's poor. I think it stinks. And what we've been finding is we've been addressing the issues of our differences head on. We found that maybe we were assuming our spiritual maturity was a little higher than it really was. That maybe there's been a little arrogance that said, well, you know, Sunday school, Bible study for a certain point, and then we can move beyond that. And the, the challenging, the frustrating thing is that the leadership of the church, the session and the staff, we've recognized, right, this, this needs to change. And every time we try to face it, it's like a brick wall. And we get stuck. We're running in quicksand. I think one, that means calls us to prayer. As Rhoda shared with us last week in Ephesians 3, the, the real call to this is God to explode in our midst. And to recognize that we are in a spiritual battle. And that will come in a few weeks as we look ahead in Ephesians. And so I ask for your, your prayer for those that God has called, the gifts that God has given to leadership. You may not see them as gifts necessarily, but they're what God has given. And it's all that we need to move forward. And for that leadership to really listen to God, make the changes necessary so that we might truly be the place where every effort is given to the goal line that God has set for us. To our unity in Christ and our maturity like Christ. So that indeed we might win the game. Now as we move in the service before God to a time of healing stations and communion... We'll have a lot of time of sitting, time of reflecting. And, and what I ask you to do in that time is to listen. Where did God poke or prod you? Where did the Spirit move within you as we walked through this passage? Where are the areas where you're broken and you need the bone to be reset? 
Especially when it comes to your unity with fellow believers and your maturity to be like Christ. Where are the areas that you are impatient, where you're harsh, where you're unkind? Let God bring those to your attention so that you might, in your seat or at a healing station, seek God's healing. We'll, we'll have healing stations where you'll have elders out and about, as is our custom. They'll, they'll be little vial of oil, and they're, they're there to pray for you and with you, to pray for your healing. And we tend to focus a lot on physical healing. Certainly bring those. But also, what about the relationships, the spiritual healing? Where's the, the place that, that, that spiritually you need a bone reset? That you're, you're out of tune with truly maturing in Christ as the goal of our lives. Take this time as well to continue to pray for the, the unity and maturity of us as a church and be listening for God's call to you. What's your role in that. And as we come to the table of communion, it is significant that that is the, the one sacrament that God gave us together. And I think it's exactly what under illustrates what we've just been talking about. It is the place where we celebrate and participate in together the unity of Christ. Where we celebrate our oneness and just how important that is for us.